Kia ora and welcome to the Kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is my daily podcast done from the Parliamentary Press Gallery in Wellington about issues around housing unaffordability, climate change inaction and child poverty reduction. This is a podcast and an email newsletter that's supported by paid subscribers. And I'd love you to become a paid subscriber to support that work. Um, because I'm opening up today's podcast and today's uh, daily email newsletter to everyone. In part because today's an important day that affects so many people who are really struggling at the moment. Today is April 1 which means it's the day the benefit goes up. And you may have heard quite a bit of noise from the government over the last couple of days previewing today's benefit increases. And they are significant on the face of it. There's an average $60 a week increase in benefits and various other payments, working for families, New Zealand superannuation, for about 100,000 low-income families today. As well... From today, April 1, you're going to see a halving of public transport fares, at least for the short term, uh, as announced a few weeks ago. And of course, there is the reduction in the uh, fuel excise, which was announced a few weeks ago, to help people deal with significant increases in living costs. So, job done, you may think. Well, unfortunately not. As we've heard today from various um, uh, poverty activist groups, there are significant shortfalls still for people on low incomes, particularly low-income families and particularly those low-income families where the parents do not have a job. So I'm going to spend quite a bit of time today looking at the details of the various changes to benefits and working for families and where there are shortfalls and uh, what proposals there are to improve things. So today the government increased the benefits as announced in last year's budget in May last year, before the Ukraine war, before oil prices took off and before a surge in inflation that's um, probably 7 to 8% since May last year. Over the last few years, the government has been improving the benefit and in particular moving to indexation of many of the benefits to wage growth, which is a good thing. For a long time, there's been a real disconnect between indexation for New Zealand superannuation, which was indexed to average wages, and indexation for uh, people on benefits and also working for families. They were indexed to inflation annually or in, in the working for families case, only once every five years. And that meant, as inflation has increased in the last couple of years, that um, people who were not indexed to wage inflation, which typically, apart from this year of course, has been around about 4 to 5 percent, whereas uh, CPI inflation has been around 2 percent. And um, it's a good thing that the government has indexed um, benefits, at least, to wage inflation. Although, interestingly, the indexation changes that kick in from today only include the uh, uh, indexation up to the end of September. And we know 
from uh, what people are forecasting that since then there has been significant inflation in the range of 5 to 8%, particularly for the costs of people who are living on low incomes and benefits, which have risen more relative to inflation for people on higher incomes. And that's been a theme of the last 15 years or so. In fact, when you look at the living standards indices from StatsNZ, you can see that inflation of prices for the sorts of things that people on low incomes, superannuitants, Māori, and those on benefits actually buy, and the weight it has in their disposable income, you can see that prices have increased around about 30 to 35% over the last 13 years for people on low incomes and benefits. Whereas inflation for people who are on the highest spending and income quintiles, so people who are most likely to own their own homes and have jobs and um, significant incomes, their inflation rate has been around 20%. Now that's because... Typically, those people on high incomes um, save more of their income. Therefore, um, the chunk of disposable income exposed to higher prices for consumption is less. Secondly, those who own their own homes have seen their housing costs drop substantially over the last 13 years because of lower interest rates on their mortgages. And even the most recent increases in mortgage interest rates hasn't really changed that much at all. In fact, collectively, the mortgage bill for those people who own homes in New Zealand is less than 6% of disposable income. Meantime, rents for those people who are on low incomes have risen significantly faster than incomes and inflation, and obviously much, much faster than living costs for people who own their own homes. So the level of need and the pain for those people at the lowest end of the income and wealth spectrums is intense right now. And it's been worsened by COVID and, I think, by the government's response to COVID. So in the first year of COVID, the government doubled the winter energy payment and it also increased some benefits. Uh, it also made a point of uh, really housing a lot of those people who were homeless in motels. That first year of the COVID response was actually a pretty good um, initial response to the crisis. Although, again, New Zealand has shied away from uh, what I'd call across-the-board cash payments to those people on lower incomes, unlike in the United States and in Australia where cash payments were made. In New Zealand, the only sort of across-the-board cash payments were actually made to employers in the form of wage subsidies and resurgence payments. A total of $20 billion, which, as I've talked about before, has mostly gone uh, into uh, the bank accounts of uh, households and businesses. Uh, so there weren't the same across-the-board cash payments to people on lower incomes here that there were in Australia. And in fact, this week we've seen from the Australian uh, government, the Conservative Australian government, Liberal National Coalition, in a budget package that they have um, made significant cash payments upwards of $450 to those people on low to middle incomes and superannuitants. Uh, they're pretty keen to get re-elected uh, in an election by M May the 21st, and it's unlikely to change their prospects there. But it shows that other gov governments are much 
uh, keener and more able to provide across-the-board cash one-off payments to people on low incomes to deal with these sorts of shocks, such as COVID and such as the oil price shock that we've seen, particularly since the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, We're not seeing that. We didn't see it last year from the government, and we're not seeing it this year. Uh, For example, there was no doubling of the winter energy payment last year. And although there have been some benefit increases, as we found out this week from Fairer Future, the coalition of um, anti-poverty groups, that um, benefit levels are, for some families, uh, particularly those who are renting with children, benefit levels are over $300 less than what's needed to live a life in dignity, as measured by the Welfare Experts Advisory Group, that official group, that the government asked for advice on changing the welfare system, who reported back in 2019. Fair Future used the models that the WIAG created to understand what is needed as a as an income for a family to live in dignity, applied those using the latest prices and the latest benefit levels as apply from today, April 1, and found that for some families it was upwards of $300 a week was the deficit. So how has this developed and and what could be done to improve it? Well, today we've had, at the same time as the April 1 benefit increases, we've had uh, calls from um, two prominent and well-respected poverty activist groups, the Child Poverty Action Group and also the Auckland City Mission. So this morning, Susan St. John, who is the spokesperson for the Child Poverty Action Group, has called uh, for the government to extend the in-work tax credit to those families who are currently on the unemployment benefit. That is not extended to those people at the moment. The Working for Families and Family Tax Credit only goes to those families who have children who are working. She's also calling for an increase in the rebate threshold and uh, a reversion of the uh, uh, clawback rate for those people who are receiving working for families back to the 20% level that it was before a series of recent increases. Now, this, these changes in the last uh, year or two from the government on working for families clawback haven't gotten a lot of attention. In effect, it was a tax increase for poor working families. The clawback rate was increased. And uh, as we've seen with the National Party's call for an increase in the thresholds for tax rates uh, to adjust for inflation, uh, there has been no change in those thresholds for the abatement rates for working for families. And Susan St. John is saying that those thresholds should also be adjusted for wage inflation, which they aren't at the moment. And uh, we're also seeing uh, uh, cha- uh, calls from uh, Susan St. John and the Auckland City Missioner for um, various uh, wage inflation adjustments to benefits. So not just up to the end of September 30, but right through until now to take account of those increases in fuel and food and rent costs since the end of September. When you actually look at uh, what is now expected from economists, uh, we're looking at a significant increase in prices even since the end of uh, September. So according to the latest forecasts 
of what we're going to get in inflation in the year to the end of June, for example, uh, economists are expecting um, inflation of around 5 to 7% since the end of September. So that is not um, accounted for in the uh, numbers that have come out today uh, from the government. Now, um, I've gone into a bit more detail in the email newsletter uh, about what I think about this and what I think it means in the bigger picture. Uh, but uh, suffice to say, in my view, the government's response since COVID has deeply worsened the inequalities in New Zealand in both income and wealth terms and has effectively punished again those people who have done it the toughest during COVID, those people on low incomes, on benefits, many of whom had the lowest vaccination rates, had the highest COVID rates, the highest hospitalisation rates, the highest death rates. They were most likely to be working as essential service workers, um, making sure the food chains were running properly and the hospitals were running properly and that the retail and uh, grocery uh, chains were running properly. Uh, those people have not seen the benefits of asset price inflation that ev everyone else has. And if they went in work or they were in precarious or low-paid work and may have had uh, gaps in incomes through the last two years for various reasons, either COVID or job losses, they're the ones who have done it the toughest. And they're the ones that should have been helped the most. Instead, the government sent $20 billion in cash to businesses as wage subsidies, which initially seemed like a good idea at the time, but most of that money has been banked in uh, term deposit accounts and cash accounts at banks held by households and businesses. Profits have significantly increased, and one of the, uh, one of the uh, good things about our higher corporate tax rate than in other countries is that at least some of that has come back in the form of higher corporate tax revenues. However, um, clearly the government's response has worsened the wealth divide and its inadequate response with benefit increases and the pre-existing problems with the working for family system, which really does punish the children of people who are not working and uh, claw back in a really aggressively nasty high marginal tax way the uh, working for families tax credits uh, and these are changes that have not been adjusted for inflation and, in fact, have been worsened. It is, in effect, a tax increase, what has happened in the last couple of years, to the clawback rate for working for families. Uh, currently, the government, in theory, is reviewing working for families. Uh, hard to know where that review is and what's going to happen with it next. So I finish off my... Um, commentary on these April 1 benefit changes just by challenging a few of the advisors to the government at Treasury, MSD, MB, Deputy uh, Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet just to ask themselves whether they're really happy with the way that the government has responded to COVID, in particular to those people on lower incomes and those 150,000 children living in poverty many of whom have had an awful COVID, and particularly their parents, not just in an income sense, but in a health sense, in an anxiety sense, in a housing sense. 
and the response from the government has been wholly inadequate, and for no good reason, purely because Treasury has advised the government that it needs to get its debt back down again into that 20 to 30% of GDP range, which uh, both sides of politics in Treasury have been fixated on for um, three decades, and which has no relevance anymore in the global debt markets. Our net debt levels are now less than half of our peers who are AAA rated in the OECD. And it's clear that if the Treasury properly analysed the liabilities of this continued failure to invest in our infrastructure and in the health and education and well-being of our youngest people, that there would be no excuse for the uh, the low spending on um, benefits, on housing infrastructure, and on other public infrastructure such as transport. It also doesn't take into account the um, likely liabilities from our climate change in action in coming years if we are to keep our international responsibilities. I think it is a scandal that Treasury has not properly done the actuarial analysis for the true cost, the opportunity cost, and the actual physical costs of allowing 150,000 kids, another generation, to grow up in poverty. Is this really the country that you want to be in? Is the advice that you're giving the ministers truly free and frank? Are you proud of it? Are you challenging these ministers and pointing this out? And also, to those people who get this email, and I know there are many people inside the upper levels of government, uh, in the the bureaucracies, and of course in Parliament and uh, the ministries and in the opposition, as MPs, when you leave Parliament, will you be proud of what has happened in the last couple of years? I'm Bernard Hickey. It is Friday, the 1st of April. That was the Kaka, uh, my daily podcast, brought to you and supported by paid subscribers to the Kaka. So if you're hearing this as a free subscriber, I'd love you to subscribe and support this work I do, uh, reporting in an analytical uh, way, doing accountability journalism, explanatory journalism, and and doing solutions journalism on these triple crises we have of housing unaffordability, climate change in action, and child poverty reduction. Kakita